You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Will sterling follow the US dollar? As Willem Boiter pointed out last week, the silver lining in sterling's decline of January the 4th, this is highly likely. Movements in exchange rates are, to put it mildly, unpredictable. But this one ought to happen. It should also be welcomed. This possibility was indeed why the UK had to keep out of the Eurozone. Like the US, the UK has had buoyant credit growth, huge rises in house prices, low private and national savings, and a sizable current account deficit. Like the US, it also absorbed the surplus savings of much of the rest of the world in the 2000s. It is, in short, one of the canonical Anglo-Saxon economies. Yet in many respects, the UK position is worse than that of the US. The run-up in UK house prices, for example, was much bigger than in the US. Under almost any measure, housing valuations and household indebtedness are more extreme. To take just one example, at the end of 2006, household mortgage debt was 126% of disposable income, against a mere 104% in the US. Moreover, the UK's current account deficit at 5.7% of GDP in the third quarter of 2007 was bigger than that of the US. Indeed, it was bigger even than it seems. As Andrew Smithers of London-based research company Smithers & Co. argues, the deficit is significantly understated by current statistical conventions. Retained Retained earnings of direct investment are included in data on investment income, But this is not the case for portfolio investment. Since a high proportion of UK-based multinationals are owned by foreign portfolio investors, this exaggerates the UK's net investment income. The UK's true current account deficit may have been close to 7% of GDP. Yet until recently, sterling was a very strong currency. Even last December, the trade-weighted real exchange rate calculated by JP Morgan was 7% above its average since 1970. A year ago, it was almost 14% above that average. Over the past 37 years, sterling's real exchange rate was as high as it was a year ago, only in early 2004, between mid-1997 and mid-2000, and from mid-1980 to mid-1981. Against the dollar, sterling peaked last November at $2.11. This was higher than at any time since 1981, and more than 50% higher than in mid-2001. Such high valuations were unlikely to last, and have not done so. The strength was driven by the country's stable economy, open capital markets, and the highest nominal interest rates in the group of seven leading high-income countries. But now growth seems likely to slow sharply. Short-term interest rates are set to fall, and capital markets are suffering credit crunch blues. Should anybody worry about a continued slide in sterling? Definitely no is my answer. Those used to cheap holidays abroad will be unhappy, but these were in effect financed on credit, and that couldn't last. It is probable that the credit squeeze and associated correction in the housing market will weaken consumption sharply this year. But since the UK's private sector is running a financial deficit of 3% of GDP and household savings in the third quarter of 2007 were a mere 3.4% of disposable incomes, this is also highly desirable. In the short to medium run, such a correction is also likely to mean a significant slowdown in the economy, possibly even negative growth in one or more quarters. 
Offsetting fiscal action is virtually impossible without scrapping the fiscal rules, though the automatic stabilizers might still work. Indeed, even if the rules were put to one side, fiscal action would be dangerous, since it could seriously endanger the credibility of low inflation. But comments by Gordon Brown, Prime Minister, and Alistair Darling, Chancellor of the Exchequer, on prospects for inflation and monetary policy of the kind heard this week are at least as big a danger, particularly since reappointment of the Governor of the Bank of England is still up in the air. Yet I do not want to be too critical of Mr Brown, since he saved the UK from the Euro. The difficulties of the next year or two will no doubt reawaken the pro-Euro lobby. But if the UK had been in the Eurozone and so experienced even lower interest rates, the credit boom would almost certainly have been even bigger and the adjustment ahead even more painful. The UK must now shift to an economy with lower real house prices, higher savings, a smaller current account deficit and a weaker real exchange rate. This adjustment is far better achieved through a decline in the nominal exchange rate than through the years of competitive disinflation that Spain, to take one example, is now likely to suffer. British policymakers must focus only on preserving credibly low inflation. That is essential if a sterling retreat is not to become a rout. The external adjustment is most unlikely to be big enough or fast enough to offset the slowdown in domestic demand, particularly given the constraints on fiscal action. So be it. Unbalanced growth cannot last forever. The UK must keep its nerve while the economy and currency come down to earth. And so too should the government. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.